Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's weekly podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of media and entertainment. I'm Cynthia Littleton, co-editor-in-chief of Variety. Today, my guest is Kelly Edwards, a TV writer and a former executive at HBO, UPN, and NBC Universal. That background gives her an unusual perspective on the business. She's taken her experience in the trenches and put it all down in a primer designed to help aspiring writers navigate the business side of television. The Executive Chair, a writer's guide to TV series development, is a breezy guide to the things they don't teach you in content school, like what to do when you meet an executive you've just pitched in the wild. In our conversation, Edwards talks about how the process of writing the book helped her gain insight into a changing business. We all have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, she says. That's all coming up on Strictly Business after the break. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, Take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to 
bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Kelly Edwards, TV writer and author of the new book, The Executive Chair, A Writer's Guide to TV Series Development. A very useful tome. It is so fun. It's a it's a breezy read, but it has it is packed with information. Welcome to Strictly Business. Thanks for coming in today. And thank you for having me. I'm overjoyed to be here. <laughs> Thanks, Kelly. It really, as I said, it is it's a it's a great read. It is I've read a lot of books about about television. I have a little collection about of books about television, and it is one of the best that I've read in terms of just laying out the real politique of how how a bill becomes a law, how a how a germ of an idea becomes a TV series that ideally runs for 10 seasons and however many episodes, although I'm dating myself because that may not entirely be the business model these days. But that's getting to my point. Taking the time um, as, a, as an industry veteran who has seen this industry from the perspective of a writer, a producer, an executive, an advocate, um, so taking the measure of this industry as you did to articulate it, how how the business side of the of the business of writing works. What did that process tell you about how this industry is changing? Wow. Well, the 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 industry has has grown by leaps and bounds, and I think that even when I was back in um, assistant mode, when I was working for a couple of executive producers, you know, things were very very different. You know, obviously, we we went from a primarily multicam business into a single cam. Uh, world, you know, they're virtually no, none of the kinds of shows that I did when I started out are we doing now. And, um, and the business has changed so much in terms of just the streamers, just in the, in the, in the way that we're producing television, the, the kinds of television that we're producing, um, and, you know, the, the economics of it, everything has been upended by technology, by taste, by, uh, by where society is sort of going. Uh, in general, I, I think it's it's kind of exciting for me when I look at where we started and and even before I started because I've been a fan of television for you know my entire life and I used to uh -huh. watch Father Knows Best and those sort of things <laughs> you know when I was coming home from school I feel as though we're in an industry that's always going to change um, so you have to just sort of ride the wave but where we are now I feel like I feel like we're also ready for another another change it's something gonna happen soon because. Even as much as we have a a an unstable environment at the moment with the advent of all the streamers, I think someone's going to come along very quickly and switch things up again. I feel like it's just sort of accelerating the more we're, we're in a transitional period. I you think, think we are, yeah, and I think we we have to just be, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. You know, <laughs> I think that's good advice for this moment. When you talk about where things are changing, even on the production side, you also have to look at how things are changing on the pitching side. So I've been very, it's been a very interesting pitching season. You know, I started out with this 
first look deal at HBO this last year and have been back in the trenches on the pitching side. And now with everyone asking for decks and pre-pitches before your pitches and the amount of notes that you get for a pitch before it even gets to, to the network, there's a lot more work that happens now on the pitching side of the of this whole system as opposed to where we were before when we were sitting in in a room and i would go in and sit across from someone and pitch something and there was a very visceral reaction to the pitch and and i could tell where i was and how they were feeling it mm-hmm. and if we were vibing and then i could you know make tweaks if i needed to in the room if i was you know if i felt like i needed to push a little bit more and i feel like the Zoom of it all has really changed a lot, just even on the pitching side. So I do think that we're in this, what do they call it, inflection point? Mm-hmm. Inflection point where we are completely changing everything about it, even from, you know, on the on the production side and on the even before you get there on the development side. What you say about the pre the pre-pitch process sounds very much what we're hearing from casting directors, which is, you know, everything's on tape now. And now send me a little bit of tape before you send me the tape of the sides that I want. <laughs> it it is really and would you say that that sort of the preamble to the pitching process, was that changing even before pandemic, or is that something that has come in the era of Zoom? Well, I think there was always a little bit of the pre-pitching but it was usually on the studio side or the production side. So you always prepped. Right. And so you had to pitch to the, the studio, or to the, yeah, to the studio, or, and then before you could pitch to the network. So there was always a little bit of that. I'm now finding that it's happening more in many more places than before. Mm-hmm. So I do think that there's a little bit of a, everyone's hedging their bets. Mm-hmm. And everybody mm-hmm. wants many, many, many more stops before you know along the way before they can you know before they have to say yes and that and that is such such an interesting change because i can remember network execs saying in the past that part of the part of the fun of the job and kind of part of the magic was walking in not sometimes barely even knowing what writer they were going to meet in meet with but just walk in the room tell me a story tell me a compelling story that i can't i can't let you go without without buying so exactly so tell me tell me what was the spark of inspiration for you to to write this book and tell me what was the first thing you did to make it happen okay well this this i will tell you the story of how the book came about which is a little bit different than where the the book started because okay. for 30 years of my career I've been a journaler and a and I I'll call it a diary writer but I guess it's journaling and I started that because my mother got me a Franklin planner when I was just becoming you know an assistant in the business and so I would write <laughs> everything down and when you write everything down you know all of a sudden it became well I'm going to write a, a little bit of a, a a personal note about it so I have 30 years of many stories <laughs> most of the stories have to do with uh, heartbreaking things that happened because of diversity conflicts that I had. So there's a whole other book in my psyche somewhere that I started to put down on paper. And so I had on my computer, maybe the last couple of years, two books. Simultaneously, I was writing a, a book about writing because I've been developing all of these programs about for writers, but I also had one about diversity. Mm-hmm. So about... Just over a year ago, I happened to be doing a um, uh, Rock and retreat. So it's a writer's retreat, and they usually take people off to uh, Spain or Italy or whatever, and you 
you spend a week with some Some folks. gorgeous setting to yes. inspire fantastic exactly. words in someone, right. yeah. And this happened to be, because we were all in the pandemic, I happened to be doing it through the virtual retreat. And while I was in this, there was another woman named Kathy Yaneta who had been a Paramount executive who had written a book. And she said, well, you sound like you know what you're talking about. <laughs> I think you'd be great to write a book. Would you like to meet my publisher? And I said, sure. And within 48 hours, I had a call from this publisher and he said, would you like to write a book? And I said, well, I actually have a book on my computer. Are you interested? And he said, eh, no. He said, there are plenty of books out there about writing, but what there aren't about are books about writing from the executive side of the business. Mm-hmm. And he said, why don't you write about that? And I I know I told him, I laughed at him, and I said, there's got to be 100. And he said, he said, Google it. <laughs> and I Googled it. <laughs> and I, I, did, I did realize that, again, that there was a white space. And I thought, well... I've always wanted to put down all of the training that I've had as a writer, but also all of the learnings that I've imparted to other writers. And when we go, when I go to conferences and festivals, I'm always asked the same questions. And it feels as though there are people who just need to know some of the intricacies that I know that I know that, and, and all of the executives that I know, we all just sort of have that information rattling around in our brains. And it's not like we, conceal it from anybody. We just never think about telling anybody. So I said, well, I'll do that. And I wrote a sample chapter. I wrote a table of contents. And within a week, he said, okay, let's do this. And then I was living up in Montana. I still am living up in Montana. And for about the first four months of my, uh, of the, of the, of my non-executive life, Mm -hmm. I just hunkered down and started to put it all on paper. And the goal was, let me give kind of the cheat sheet to everybody right. about what an executive thinks and how to approach executives and what do you need to have in your arsenal? What's your game plan? How to be really specific about who you are so that we will remember you and just give some of that information that I do feel like there's this little bit of a gap between folks who want to be in the business and then once you finally get to Hollywood and you want to be in it, breaking through and some of these things are just for us on the executive side and i sort of sit i think in the book too i sort of straddle that fence between writer and executive and that is unusual i mean that that's unusual and that that enriches the perspective of this book so much good good i hope i was i was hoping so that you know i think it's just it we just i just wanted to make sure that people felt that the doors are open which they are mm-hmm. we were constantly opening the doors every time a diversity program opens up or anytime we go to a festival or a conference and we're doing the Q&A, we need that influx. With genuine desire to find a new voice. That that comes across very much in the book too. Right, exactly. Yeah. That was how it started. And then you tell me how it's going. (laughs) Well, it isn't, again, the perspective is so good because it's written that only only somebody who has been an executive has been on the other side of that table. And it's written with great empathy for what the writer, what the scared, nervous, shy uh, writer is going through at that moment. And it, and the, it is as granular as, you know, how you conduct yourself in the lobby while you're waiting for the uh, to get into your pitch meeting. And what happens if you happen to run into that executive right. in the wild, in, <laughs> in the real world, before you've gotten an answer, yes or no, and how you conduct yourself. And just a lot of really pr- practical information that does kind of fill in the gaps between, you know, screen screenwriting 101 or 201 in your graduate seminar and 
what you how you what you can expect and how you should conduct yourself when you do get that Hail Mary, you know, that that one in a million shot that you know can open the doors. Right. Or how do you make that shot yeah. happen? Yeah, that that yeah, very yeah. important too. Yeah. And also on the but also does the book also shows your writerly understanding of the, you know, how literally you take the germ of an idea and the the timeline and the and the process that it goes through. You talk a lot about the pilot season process and mm-hmm. that you know, that very rigid 12-month cycle that's not a calendar year, but really more a development year. Um, as you were writing that and kind of, you know, writing down the the, the fairly rigid um, parameters of that, did, did that spark in you any thoughts about pilot season and how the now abundance of production and content and development that happens outside of that traditional, call it, you know, August to January-ish period when scripts are developed and then that February to April-ish period when pilots are shot. There's now, and has been now for years, there's a ton of content and stuff that is developed at all times, right. <laughs> all hours of the day and night. But pilot season does endure and it is a an, it is an organizing factor for a big chunk of the business. Sure. As you as you detailed all the steps in that, what any any insights or or thoughts about how that's changing or how it should change as you as you you know detailed those steps and yeah I would I would say here's what what occurred to me at the time that I was writing that because it is an old model but it is still an, a model that we talk about so we talk mm-hmm. about development season we talk about and, and it's it's and it, it does happen different places at different times but everyone has a chunk of money at a certain point and mm-hmm. that money runs out mm-hmm. and there's a cycle of that money so Talking about development season or pilot season does still is still valid. Now people greenlight things at different times. It takes some shows much longer to develop mm-hmm. than other shows. Right. Uh, and I think the good news is that now people are giving them time. Right. Don't go anywhere. We'll hear more from author Kelly Edwards after this break. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. 
When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. And we're back with more from author Kelly Edwards. Were there areas that you sought, you sought consult with people, or were there areas that you talked to other people about maybe their experiences to bring in some more perspective in your book, or did you really feel like this was, this was you wanted to tell your your experience in the in these situations yeah that was one of the things that was one of the notes that i got from my publisher because i said oh let me talk to some of my friends and i can get quotes and he was like no we really want it to be a single point of view which is why i i did i very carefully think made sure that i stayed in my lane as well Mm -hmm. so you won't see a lot of things that are about the craft of writing because there are tons of books out there on the craft mm-hmm. of writing. Mm-hmm. I don't need to tell you how to format a script and how to right. put slug lines in there. But he definitely wanted to make sure that I was doing something from my perspective. Mm-hmm. But I did have conversations with folks early on before I even started to put pen to paper about, well, what are your pet peeves, you know, about, you know, from executives? What do you find is mm-hmm. the most common question? What is the, um, what... What um, show would you put on this list? You know, what am mm-hmm. I missing? Mm-hmm. So I did seek out some of that, but not a tremendous amount because I did want to make sure that I was um, as true to my own personal voice as I could be. And there are things that I left out. There, are, I mean, there are stories that I left <laughs> out. There are shows that I didn't mention that I had a hand in because while I, you know, when you're developing, you don't always take ownership of everything that you develop. Mm-hmm. Um, there are plenty of things that I'd forgotten that I had, you know, I had to go through some of my old <laughs> development um, uh, journals to, to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I actually did. I was part of that show. But they weren't necessarily relevant, so I did change that. And I had a whole chapter on developing the comedy and developing the drama that, again, I didn't feel as though were really part of what I wanted to say with this book. So I had to be very specific about staying in that lane. Mm-hmm. I think I think you do a good job because there is a it is a very clear clear through line and it doesn't feel like it goes into, you know, aspects of screenwriting type of um, right. you know, and and it does make it distinct and your wry and I, you know, knowing you, your wry sense of humor is so perfect for this kind of kind of it's almost a how to or here's, you know, it's almost a, what to expect when you're expecting a pilot. <laughs> hey, that's a that's a good title. There you go. Um, did you find, um, you know, again, in the process of writing, did it, did you have kind of eureka moments? Oh, that's why we do that. Or that's why this is awkward for people. Did you, was there sort of discovery along the way as you were writing? I think the discovery was more about, I think my own personal discovery, because a lot of the stuff that I talk about in the book are things that I've been cultivating or working or doing seminars on for quite a while. So I pretty much had that information uh, in in my head. I think what was a little bit more revelatory were when I had to go back through my own history and go back through and, and remember 
oh, this is where I went from point A to point B, and, and this was the transition between here and there, and who was influencing me in this journey? So, you know, telling the story about, um, about my old boss, Jerry Przygian, and how he loved people, I, that was a, I had to really go back and think, well, what was that point that made me mm-hmm. go from terrified newbie executive into somebody who was a little bit more at home in my own skin? And a lot of it had to do with remembering you know, how other people networked and applied that to myself or how I had to take a moment, I think, when I had to have a conversation with myself. And I was at UPN by this time, so I was an executive and a, and a senior executive, but I still realized that I needed to reach up and get to know some of the people who were at the president level. And I was terrified of doing that, but I knew that I needed to do it. Mm-hmm. And having to relive all of that information and, and go, okay, there was a definite moment, and I remember the moment when I made that decision that I was going to go out, even if it scared the crap out of me, I needed to do that for my career. So rewinding my own personal tapes was probably the revelation that uh, that I was I was not expecting. You know, you kind of think like, oh, I'm going to do a sort of a how-to, and then you go, oh, no, no, I have to actually talk to myself and go deeper into myself. You had to put some of your own, your own self into it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what makes good writing is is heart and soul. And again, that sense of humor does so, so comes through. Let me ask you, how did you write? Did you, did you write on a laptop? Did you find a a space somewhere that you like to write? I, I always love to ask writers how, how they like to write. Sure. I wrote it. So again, I was up in Montana. I was sitting on a sofa. It was a very comfortable sofa. And I did most of my writing. I get up at 4 a.m. And so I wrote from 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. every day. And most of it was just, in the very beginning, it was, um, I'm going to say, it not quite stream of consciousness because I knew I knew what the chapters were. I remember I had done it at the table of contents. So I did not write longhand. I did write on my computer. That's how I write everything. But I will put the thoughts down and then I will organize them mm-hmm. on the computer. There are times when I will longhand write some things, but really I diagram on paper. Mm. So when I'm usually writing, like I'm writing a script or screenplay, I will use my pad with my pen to diagram the characters, to make sure that the characters all have a different point of view to make sure that there's stakes that are involved. And so I have a very specific diagram that I use that I think I outline in the book, but I don't show people in the book. And it's really just a lot of bubbles. You know, it's a lot of those circular things. Mm -hmm. And I have a big circle in the center and then maybe four or five circles on the outside with little lines that go to them. (laughs) But that's how I know that I'm not repeating character traits, that I know that everyone has a particular sound and a a particular... um, function mm-hmm. in, the, in this piece and doing the book it was just I followed the outline and kind of vomit draft drafted each section and then I like to have a physical copy of it so when I would do a, and I think part, part of that is I like to print out each chapter so that I feel like I've completed something there's something about holding that piece of paper. The tactile sense. Yeah, and yeah. I feel like I remember the information better when I have it in my hand. 
So I would print out each section, add it to a binder, so that I thought, so I was You could see the progress, yeah. yeah. Yeah, And, um, but that's basically how I did it. Kelly, what do you hope people take away most from your book? I hope that people take away that a career in, as a writer in entertainment is doable. I've, I've heard recently, I had a couple conversations recently with a couple of, uh, I'll say middle-aged dudes. And they, they came at everything so with so much angst and, and they were saying things like, well, you know, the odds are against everybody. You know, 90% of these people aren't going to be making it. And I thought, nobody comes to Hollywood with that idea. Everybody thinks they can <laughs> right. make it. Nobody think, packs up their car and thinks, wow, I'm going to drive yeah. across the country and fail. <laughs> exactly. And I do think that we are in a place where there's so much opportunity. Yes, you have to do the work. Mm -hmm. Yes, you have to be committed. You have to learn the craft. You have to be personable. You have, there are certain things. You have you to have learn to how to accept rejection and, right. and get up from it. That's right. But I've seen so many people and I've seen so much talent that I know that there are people out there who just need a shot. And if I can give them a little bit more of an edge to get that shot, they should take it. That if you have a dream to write and you are committed to that dream, now not everybody's committed. Sometimes people think that they're committed and they go, oh, I don't really, I don't really love the lifestyle. I don't really love not having a job. It's hard to keep your bottom in the seat and write. Right. Like it really right. is. <laughs> yes, but if you are one of those people who desperately wants to do it, and that you're going to die if you don't do it, then you need to know that the door is open. The door is open. And I just cannot stand the fact that for so long this industry has had gatekeepers that have kept people out. And then you, I see, you know, and when I was running the HBO Access program, every other year I would get 3,600 submissions. And of those 3,600 submissions, 20% were really good. 20% of pe those people people could make have it tomorrow. 10% were excellent. 10% were just anybody could have been in the program. The talent is out there. And if you tell people that they can't come, that they were going to shut you down before you even get started, then you won't find an Issa Rae. And you won't find, I mean, a Joseph Sawyer. Like there's so many people that that all of us knew about before they even broke out. But if we shut them down before they became who they are, Imagine what we would have lost. So I always saw my job sitting in that space at HBO as a person who validated other people's dreams. And so many times people would come in and they would be nervous or they'd be sitting and even executives. I've got plenty of executives or people who came from very disparate, weird places in the industry or the country. Like you would go, that's like, why, why in the world would they come from wherever they came from? And they ended up here. And so, and almost every one of those people, all they wanted was someone to validate their dream. And then when they went for it and they pursued it, they made it. So who am I to tell you that you can't? I'm not that person. I can't tell you that you can't. I'm telling you that if you want it bad enough, mm -hmm. if you're willing to do the work, and if you, and I'm going to give you a couple extra tools in this book so that it's going to help you navigate it a little bit better. I've seen so many people make a go of it. And... I'm a perfect example. My parents were dentists. I'm not, it's not like I'm, you know, some genius person who, you know, I'm not like a one in a million kind of person. I'm 
average girl, pretty much, <laughs> right? So if I could make it and all the things were stacked against me, I'm a woman, I'm a woman of color, uh, I'm uh, relatively short, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> curly hair. Um, I'm, uh, but if I can love it as much and get in and weasel, weasel my way in and make a go of this, pretty much anybody can. But you have to really want it, you have to do the work. Thanks for listening. Be sure to leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. We love to hear from listeners. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Strictly Business. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com.